Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Doctor is In podcast, the controlled environment agriculture podcast, where we focus on optimizing the indoor plant environment for crops growing in greenhouses, indoor farms, vertical farms, plant factories, containers, and any other facility where we want to grow plants anytime and anywhere. I'm your host, Dr. Nadia Saba, and I'm excited uh, to be here with you today. So in today's episode, we are going to talk about California's new energy code. Yes, effective January 1st, California's Title 24 Part 6 Energy Code includes requirements for indoor agriculture. In this new energy code, measures related to horticultural lighting, dehumidifier efficiency, greenhouse glazing, and even power monitoring are included. No crop will be immune from the energy code requirements. So if you're planning to set up a cultivation operation in California, it doesn't matter if you'll be growing tomatoes, lettuce, cannabis, strawberries, or microgreens, you will need to comply. So turn the volume up and get ready to take notes because today we're talking about what's in and what's out of the new energy code for controlled environment horticulture. And if you want to learn more after listening to this podcast, please check out uh, my latest blog uh, posted in February at www.drgreenhouse.com backslash blog. I also pre-recorded a webinar for Cannabis Business Times back in August that also went through uh, what the energy code requirements would be. So with that, let's get started. So let's start with defining what is CEH. CEH is Controlled Environment Horticulture. It's really, you know, a sibling of controlled environment agriculture, but focused on horticultural production. One of the reasons why uh, California decided to go with CEH as opposed to CEA is because CEA, the acronym, was already taken in California by the California Energy Alliance, actually a really cool group that has a bunch of stakeholders that are advocating for energy efficiency and policy and technologies related to reducing energy use in California. So that acronym is still a great acronym, but in order to separate the two and distinguish the two terminologies and acronyms, um, the uh, Utility Commission decided to go with CEH for Controlled Environment Horticulture. You know, The big reason why the new energy code is including requirements aimed at um, controlled environment horticulture is because, you know, overall, the state has goals for decarbonization and reducing energy use uh, overall in the state with goals set for 2030, 2040, 2050. And, you know, really no sector is left behind in these energy codes. We have residential energy codes, which is reducing energy use by people living in homes and apartments. We have commercial energy codes for people who are working in hospitals and offices. We have industrial energy code requirements that are related to factories, and you know industrial processes we have transportation energy codes 
So really, you know, the fact that controlled environment horticulture is now included within these rules and mandates, in my opinion, is really a sign of, you know, things to come and that this industry, this sector has made it, right? We are in people's minds, uh, they're thinking about us, and um, they know that we use energy and they want to, you know, reduce energy use like they are in all the other sectors where energy is used. Um, you know, this new energy code section, which is section 120.6H, if you are interested in looking up the energy code section, it covers both indoor and greenhouse growing. And like I said at the top uh, in the intro, um, it's it's for all crops. It's not just cannabis. Yes, cannabis might have been the impetus, uh, you know, in terms of thinking about this, realizing how energy intensive it was, and so many cultivation operations coming on all at once um, really got the notice, right, of these regulators and really the population at large. You know, we're going to talk about what's in the energy code, but I also want to be cognizant of what's not in the energy code. And, and I think that this is really important for people to realize because there was a lot of stakeholder meetings and feedback at several conferences um, where you know people within the industry or supporting the industry pushed back on certain measures that were originally proposed either because the energy savings couldn't be proven or because industry stakeholders you know said, well, you know, these measures are unattainable or uneconomical, right? They'll put us out of business, or we just don't even have the infrastructure or the technology to support some of these proposed measures. And so, you know, originally when these measures were proposed three or four years ago, the list was very long um, and got shortened and trimmed over time as the economics didn't play out, as stakeholders expressed concern. Um, and so, you know, I want everyone to be aware that there was a process, there is a process in terms of developing these new regulations. And at the end of the um, of the podcast episode, I'm going to talk about how you can get involved in the next round of stakeholder meetings, as well as in your own local jurisdictions. Because as they say, right, as California goes, so goes the nation. So it's only a matter of time when what we're doing here starts to percolate in other parts of the country. And we've already started to see that, right? And, and that's one of the challenges is that different states and local jurisdictions have different energy code measures or goals. Um, and so what, you know, might pertain here in California might not be applicable in Massachusetts or Illinois or Texas or Washington or wherever you might be located. Okay, so let's talk about what's in the energy code. So first off, CEH in the energy code is considered a covered process. It's not considered a building. I know this sounds really weird and counterintuitive because we are all operating inside a building, right? We are cultivating our crops in a greenhouse, which is a structure, in a warehouse, which is a structure, right? And, and so why, why wouldn't California consider controlled environment horticulture and the cultivation practices as being inside a building? Well, there's actually a really good reason they are considering controlled environment horticulture to be a covered process. 
And this is a really interesting uh, distinction because a covered process is actually, it's an activity or treatment of a building that is not necessarily related to human occupancy. So some other covered processes that are in the energy code include computer rooms, refrigerated warehouses and cold storage, commercial kitchens, elevators, um, you know, uh, data centers, these spaces where we need to condition a room or an area or a building, not necessarily because people are going to be in them and we want to provide thermal comfort to people, but because we need to condition them for the machines that are operating in that space, like a server or an elevator uh, machine, or because, right, it's a different sort of occupant. You know, even a refrigerated warehouse and cold storage, you know, yes, there's people moving in and out, maybe on forklifts, moving pallets around, but really that refrigerated warehouse is conditioning the fruit or the foodstuffs, right, that we are trying to preserve and store until we can transport it to somewhere else. So this is actually really kind of clever in that, you know, we are considering this a covered process as opposed to a building. Um, so ultimately, I think that classifying CEH as a process rather than a human-occupied building is ultimately a good thing for indoor agriculture. They are recognizing that we need to be conditioning these spaces not for people, but for plants and the crops that we're growing. Okay, the second thing um, that's in the energy code is that this is only related to new construction projects. So if you have an existing facility, you need not apply. So if you are in the state of California or considering moving to California and setting up a new cultivation operation, absolutely you need to meet these energy code requirements. And that, you know, doesn't matter, you know, if you're in a greenhouse, if you're in a new concrete or steel building, or even if you're doing a major retrofit of a warehouse. So maybe there's an empty warehouse and it has one rooftop unit that you're gonna maybe use for the offices. If you're going to build out the rest of that space for cultivation, then you do need to comply with the new energy code because that would be considered a major retrofit. Okay, the third thing is that the measures included in the energy code are mandatory. You have to comply with them. There's no getting around them. Even if you plan to implement an alternative technology or practice that you think would reduce energy use even more than what is required, it might be possible to get an exception, but it's really unlikely. So what are the measures that are included? I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. Again, please check out my blog um, at the Dr. Greenhouse website or the Cannabis Business Times webinar or contact us if you want to get more details. But here is sort of the summary of what's included. For If you are going to set up an indoor grow facility, okay, a vertical farm, a plant factory, an indoor cannabis cultivation facility, you have to comply with the horticultural lighting requirements. And so the first one is that the photon, the photosynthetic photon efficiency has to be greater than or equal to 1.9 micromoles per joule. 
Now, this, I, I know that this seems like a lot, um, and, and yes, it is going to force a lot of people into uh, LED lighting or more efficient lighting than high-pressure sodium and high-intensity discharge lamps, um, but what is actually unique about this compared to what we're seeing in other states is that California is recognizing that photosynthetic photon efficiency is what drives plant productivity not necessarily watts you know what we see in massachusetts with their requirement right their their maximum limit of 35 watts per square foot of horticultural lighting right it doesn't really tell us about the quality of that light and how it's going to affect the the plant the plants that you are trying to grow at least in this case, they rec you know, California recognizes that photons are important, photosynthesis is important, and PAR is important when making these requirements for lighting efficiency. Now, if you're in greenhouse, they actually, you know, it's a little bit lower of, of a requirement. The PPE can be greater than or equal to 1.7 micromoles per joule. And, and so this now allows high pressure sodium and HID lighting to continue to be used in greenhouses. And one of the reasons why they kind of relax the limits for greenhouses is that a lot of people came forward and said, hey, you know, by using um, my high pressure sodium lights, I can actually reduce my heating energy needs during winter, which is when I primarily use supplemental lighting anyway. And so California listened to that and they relaxed the limits for greenhouses. Okay, so again, going back to indoor growing, one of the requirements is electrical power distribution. So what this means is that they want your electrician, your electrical engineer to design the electrical panels such that all the horticultural lighting, energy use, electricity use is aggregated to the same location so that we can easily sub-meter lighting relative to all the other ener energy end users like HVAC and fans and pumps, et cetera. Um, and so this is kind of getting us set up to do sub-metering into the future. There is no requirement that you have to sub-meter. They just want all of that electricity aggregated to one location so that you could sub-meter, um, which I think if, if you know, by, by um, by making this a requirement, I think a lot of growers will be more likely to meter their electricity use by lights. Um, you know, sticking with indoor growing for a minute, one of the other um, big requirements has to do with HVAC, um, which is uh, really around dehumidification efficiency. So the first thing is, if you use standalone dehumidifiers, you have to comply with certain federal appliance standards. Uh, dehumidifiers are uh, tested and rated for residential use. They're not tested and rated for commercial or horticultural use. And so we are sort of preempted to follow the federal standard of efficiency based on this, you know, this designation that 
dehumidifiers are appliances. So you have to make sure that the, the dehumidifiers that you purchase comply with those federal standards. Um, the other thing is, if you are using an integrated HVAC system um, or a chilled water system using hot water, right, and, and you have a, a, a cooling coil, whether it's a, a refrigeration DX coil or a chilled water coil that you're using primarily as your source of dehumidification, and then you reheat that air, right, um, to, to prevent overcooling your, your grow room, you have to make sure that 75% of the energy used to reheat that air after the dehumidification process comes from heat recovery. You have to recover heat from something. If you're using a DX package system, that can be hot gas reheat, which many of the systems available now for horticulture already have included in their packages. Um, if you're using a chilled water system, that heat recovery might come from a heat recovery chiller or from some other process. Maybe you have a cogen plant and you can, you know, take some of that heat and return it uh, to the hot water system. Uh, so they are, California is requiring, again, 75% of the reheat energy to come from some other source that we're recovering from. Also, if you are thinking of using a desiccant system for dehumidification, you are only allowed to use it when the target dew point is less than or equal to 50 degrees. So basically, that means that you are targeting a very cold and very dry environment. Probably the most likely um, space that you would use desiccant uh, dehumidification systems for is your dry room, your cure room, maybe even some cold storage or some special processing. Okay, so now I'm going to go back to, to greenhouses. Sorry, I jumped around there a little bit. Um, in addition to, you know, having horticultural lighting with a PPE greater than or equal to 1.7 micromoles per joule, there are also some building envelope requirements, basically meaning that you have to have a certain type of glazing on your greenhouse. This measure might be the most controversial of all, at least in my opinion. Um, I personally wrote a letter to the Energy Commission. I co-wrote it with my PhD advisor, Gene Giacomelli, from the University of Arizona, because the original proposed requirements basically would have forced greenhouse growers to install double pane or triple pane glass on their greenhouse, which is not a good idea, especially in a lot of uh, regions and climate zones in California. And so the Energy Commission um, stepped back a little bit, maybe not as far back as many of us would have liked, um, but it's at least they don't have a number value set uh, to to these requirements. So the first thing that I want to say is that the building envelope or the greenhouse glazing is only affected if you have a space conditioned greenhouse. What does that mean? That means if you are actively cooling the greenhouse, say with, you know, a chiller system or even an evaporative cooling system, if you are actively going to be heating that greenhouse, that you have to comply. But if you are using high tunnels um, 
you know, to maybe extend seasons, um, or if you have, you know, um, temporary hoop houses also, you know, to protect your crop or to extend seasons, this, these requirements do not apply to you. It really only applies to permanent structures that are going to be space conditioned. So the first thing is if you plan to build a greenhouse that has opaque walls and an opaque roof, you have to comply with the existing section 120.7 for envelope insulation in your climate zone. I think this is actually probably a good requirement. Um, you know, I know many growers are trying to block out solar radiation by having opaque walls um, for their greenhouse. Also, there are security reasons why you might have opaque walls. But this takes us that next step further where, you know, you can't just have just, you know, um, sheet metal. Uh, you know, even if it's painted white to block out the sun rays, they also want it to have an insulative value uh, to, you know, to reduce heat transfer when it's hot or cold outside. And I think this is actually a benefit to greenhouse growers because you're going to be able to control your climate even better by having that insulated um, envelope. Now, if you have a transparent cover, right, our greenhouse glazings, what they're saying is that you have to have at least two layers of that glazing. It can be plastic, it can be glass, that's separated by air, argon, or other gas. Again, I actually think that this is a really good requirement. There has been a ton of research over the last 30 or 40 years um, showing that even just double polyethylene film can reduce energy use, especially heat loss in the winter, by 20 or 30 percent, which is almost equivalent to double and triple pane glass. Why wouldn't you want to reduce your energy loads, right? Why wouldn't you want to reduce how much heat you will need in, in the winter and even, you know, reduce how much heat transfers into your greenhouse in the summer. Um, you know, I don't think that this is the worst um, requirement in the world. I am an advocate for two layers, whether you're using polyethylene film or polycarbonate. You know, um, I, I really feel like we should all be using twin wall polycarbonate. Um, those of you who know me know that I'm not a fan of corrugated polycarbonate. There's a lot of, you know, it, it doesn't block any heat transfer has no insulative value whatsoever. Um, also, it you know, if you have a very pressurized greenhouse, it kind of bows. Like, it's just, I don't know. I don't love it. And I'm kind of happy that we are requiring double layer glazing on the greenhouse. Um, okay. Also, if you plan to air condition your greenhouse or space condition your greenhouse again with air conditioners or chillers or heaters or fans, you have to comply with the existing applicable requirements that you will find elsewhere in the energy code. So, you know, that, that includes mechanical, plumbing, and electrical codes associated with HVAC systems. You will have to comply or those systems will have to comply. Um, Okay, and regardless of what type of facility you are growing in, whether it's a greenhouse or an indoor farm, um, all new operations for controlled environment and horticulture will have to comply with two extra measures. One is that you have to have time switch lighting controls. So basically you have to have a timer to operate your lights. 
I'm going to guess most indoor farmers have this already. So not a big deal, right? 12 hours on, 12 hours off. Awesome. If you're in a greenhouse, you might want to control your lights based off of an astronomical time switch. So basically the time of day, right? So if you are running lights, if you plan to supplement your greenhouse in the winter with lighting, then maybe you schedule your lights to start coming on at four or five o'clock in the afternoon to extend the daylight, or maybe you have it, you know, come on at two or three in the morning to extend daylight in the early hours um, of the day. But, you know, it can be on an astronomical time switch based on, you know, sunrise and sunset. The other thing that they're requiring, and, and I'm going to be honest, I think some of the, okay, so the other thing that they're requiring is multi-level lighting controls. So what they're saying is that they want your horticultural lighting levels to be adjustable up and down. So if you have LED lighting, they're saying dimmable LEDs right? Um, if you are installing high pressure sodium lamps in your greenhouse, then maybe it's checkerboard lighting, right? So, so you have a way to sort of sequence and ramp up and ramp down how much lighting you provide to your crop. Again, I actually think that this is a good measure. And I think many growers, um, you know, many advanced growers and new growers are realizing the benefits of dimmable controls, checkerboard lighting, and just that idea of ramping up and ramping down, depending on the stage of your crop, depending on the time of day. Um, and so, again, I don't think that this is a really big reach. Okay, so that's what's in the energy code. Let's talk about a little more about what's not in the new energy code. First off, like I said earlier, existing facilities need not comply. If you are currently operating a greenhouse or an indoor grow facility, there are no measures in here for you. Um, however, I will say if you are planning an expansion within the existing building or you plan to perform a major renovation of your existing space, like changing out all the HVAC equipment for new, you will likely need to comply. Uh, we have some clients who, uh, you know, I imagine are going to request exceptions to this rule. Um, but generally, you know, I would say you, you do need to comply. And for the most part, it's only going to benefit you and your bottom line, right? You're, you're going to reduce your energy costs, which is going to increase your profits. So you might as well go with it. Um, as long as the technology is there. I, I do want to include that caveat. The other thing that's not here is that you can't trade off the mandatory measures for other energy efficiency measures that you want to or plan to um, implement. So basically what that means is that, you know, if, if, you know, it says, hey, you have to install lighting with a PPE greater than or equal to 1.9 micromoles per joule. And you're like, well, I really still want to use my high pressure sodium lamps, but I'm going to use, you know, the most energy efficient HVAC system. I'm going, in fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, you know, use 100% renewable energy to operate my farm. Eh, you might still have to meet 
that measure of PPE, that, that lighting efficiency requirement, even if you plan to sort of go off grid. Um, and, and what I want to say, you know, these trade-offs, what we call them in the energy code, for those of you who are or maybe aren't familiar, we call these prescriptive measures um, where you can trade off one for the other. The reason really that this isn't an option for CEH is because honestly, there just simply isn't enough research or data to support those alternative energy saving measures um, to demonstrate that that they're going to save as much or more energy than the ones that are prescribed in the energy code. The third thing that's not available in this energy code for controlled environment horticulture is a performance approach. So, you know, for many buildings, engineers and energy design professionals can develop a model to simulate the energy use of a building and its systems and then compare it to a baseline to demonstrate savings. So you might, you know, again, going back to this idea of trade-offs, you might, you know, decide, well, rather than, you know, A, B, and C uh, to save energy, I'm going to implement D, E, F, G, H, I, J and save even more energy. And then I'm going to run a model to demonstrate that I'm saving way more energy by designing and operating my building this way than what is prescribed in the energy code. The problem that we have in controlled environment horticulture, and many of you know this already, is that we don't have uniform or accepted methodologies for calculating thermal loads or simulating how the HVAC system is going to operate in a 24-7 you know, cycle or in a 365-day cycle. Also, the practice of, of you know, cultivating these crops is both a science and an art, right? And, and every grower does something a little bit different. All the variables relate to each other. So if you tweak one thing over here, it affects these other things over there. And so to really, you know, rein in this idea that a build, you know, this building is going to operate like this, right, and, and not give growers any allowance to deviate from, quote unquote, the normal operations, um, we really, you know, um, it's, it's really hard to simulate what is going to actually happen in these cultivation facilities once, you know, it's, it's operational. The other thing is that we just don't have baseline buildings or systems defined to compare against, right? We don't have enough data from the community, from various operations, you know, based on your crop, based on your, you know, structure type, based on where you're located to develop a baseline that we can then compare a performance energy model to. So really, we need more data in order to set up this performance baseline um, and and create these standards that we can all agree upon and then compare to each other. So that is what's in and out of the energy code. Now, of course, California has its sights set on the next energy code cycle, which will be uh, 2025 to go into effect 
January 1st, 2026. There is already a group of researchers who have been hired to analyze and propose new measures. This is called the statewide case team. Um, and they have already begun their process to evaluate new potential energy efficiency measures for controlled environment horticulture. Um, well, whether you're a grower, a researcher, an engineer, a lighting vendor, an HVAC manufacturer, a greenhouse supplier, no matter where you are, even if you are an, a cannabis advocate in another state um, or you're a member of the Farm Bureau here in California, um, you know, we want to hear from you or the stakeholder team wants to hear from you. They want your feedback. They want to know what, which of these measures are, are practical, which are infeasible, which are ones that you've tried and tested and may be working great or may not be working well at all, they want to hear from you. I know that in the last round of stakeholder meetings, you know, one of the biggest complaints was that the, you know, controlled environment horticulture, greenhouses especially, had never been regulated under the under the energy code before. And so many of the existing greenhouse and nursery growers had no idea that this was even on the radar that they should be paying attention. The California Farm Bureau didn't know that this was coming. The local you know, county farm bureaus didn't know that this was coming. And so we really, you know, they represent, you know, a lot of stakeholders, millions of dollars in the state of California. Um, and so we want, really wanna hear from those folks to know what is working for them, what they're concerned about um, and, you know, Honestly, I, I'm sure that many of those nursery growers that have been and greenhouse growers and ornamental growers that have been around for 30 or 40 plus years that they have been or you have been implementing energy efficiency practices and technologies that we're simply not thinking about or that, you know, the case team is not thinking about. And so we especially want to hear from you because we want to know what is working um, and, and what is, you know, practical and cost effective for you, not just to reduce the energy use at the, at the grid and by the state and, you know, decarbonize our future, but also what's going to help you build a more profitable business. If you are interested in getting involved, the first stakeholder meeting is February 9th. I know that date is just two days from the day that we are posting this, but there will be every few months another stakeholder meeting. Uh, they are also receiving um, and encouraging people to write letters, to perform different analyses, to support their feedback, I guess, and, and propositions. So, so please do get involved. We, we really want this to be, you know, the energy code to not be an overreach that puts a whole bunch of people out of business. The other thing that I want to say is that, you know, we just we need more data and research to support alternative compliance paths, including those trade offs between different measures with the prescriptive path and standardized calculation and data collection methods to demonstrate savings um, compared to a baseline system and facilities, which would be the performance path. So one, we need, you know, data and we need standardized metrics to understand what different energy measures are out there, as well as what are baseline systems and buildings. And then we also need these, these calculation methods even to be 
standardized um, and, and developed and validated with the data to show that the calculation methods are true and sound. Um, and of course, that means that we need greater transparency and collaboration from existing and future growers to establish those standards and benchmarks. Um, you know, I, I want to take just a moment to thank all the growers and industry stakeholders who participated in our online survey, as well as our on-site surveys of facilities here in California to support our energy survey study um, of which the report was, was just published last month. And you can uh, contact us if you're interested in finding that. Um, and, and one of my biggest takeaways from that study, which was almost a year and a half long, is that many of the controlled environment horticulture facilities that we collected data from and that we investigated, at least here in California, and that's both for indoor cannabis as well as greenhouse other crops, you know, all of the above, is that these CEH facilities did not use as much energy on an annual basis as has been predicted by all these models and all of those reports, right, that and news stories that that we're that we're hearing about, right? The facilities here in California are using less energy than the models are predicting. You guys, this is fabulous news. Right, because everyone keeps pointing their fingers, right? Control environment, horticulture, indoor cannabis, vertical farms. You guys use way too much energy. Greenhouses, you know, we want to decarbonize and we want to, you know, stop providing gas to people. Oh my God, right? Like, how is how is a greenhouse going to heat itself without natural gas, right? I mean, but the thing is, is that we're not using as much energy as they think we are. Yes. We are using a lot of energy. When you read the report, you will see, yes, we do use a lot more energy than most commercial buildings, but we use on par the same amount of annual energy use on a square footage basis as a commercial kitchen, as the fast food restaurant that you go to. We use the same amount of energy on the square footage basis, which to me is actually is that a coincidence or not that, you know, the energy we put in to produce the food is equivalent to the energy we use to prepare the food? Somehow that seems like, you know, a perfect fit, but it's really enlightening. And, and I really want to get the word out. And I hope you guys will all read the report and help spread the word that we're not as bad as everyone keeps saying that we are. And we don't necessarily have to go outside <laughs> to be efficient. And we know all the other benefits that we potentially have by growing indoors, including water conservation, land conservation, and, you know, even maybe energy conservation. So uh, that is uh, my episode for today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot. Please visit our website, drgreenhouse.com backslash blog uh, to read more. And, you know, I, I tried creating a table that would be a good reference for everyone, including us at Dr. Greenhouse. Uh, when people ask us questions, I have a lot of links into all the various code sections to other websites that are supporting this process. Please check it out. 
please support this process. And if you have any questions, please contact us. Uh, you can contact me or contact us at energy at drgreenhouse.com. If you have a project that you're considering to develop and design and operate here in California, we can help you uh, with that energy compliance documentation. We are here to support you and here to support the industry. Thanks again for joining me today and, and have a great rest of your day.